0: Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI Podcast Series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com, and your host. Today I will be chatting with former Green Beret Andrew Marr as he shares his story of TBI and PTSD. If you're enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out my Patreon page to help support my advocacy work and receive exclusive Patreon-only content, patreon.com slash Zellmer. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Drs. Shane Studman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I am editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. Save the date for March 16th, my virtual Brain Injury Awareness Day event. You can register for free at facesoftbi.com event. You can also learn more about me and the podcast at tbi.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Vollmer. I also invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Andrew Marr, and he is a Sergeant First Class and Special Forces Green Beret. He is the co-founder of the Warrior Angels Foundation and co-author of Tales from the Blast Factory. His two tours in Afghanistan left him with PTSD and TBIs from the blast trauma, as he was a breacher blowing up buildings with explosives. He is currently off all pharmaceutical medications and is completely sober. He is a cast member of the movie Quiet Explosions, Healing the Brain, available for rent on Amazon. Andrew is also one of the cast and crew who will be a part of my live Q&A during Brain Injury Awareness Day on March 16th. So welcome to the podcast. Andrew, so excited to have you here.
1: Hey, Amy, it's truly an honor to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, anyone who maybe hasn't seen the newest issue of the Brain Health Magazine, you are our feature story in this issue, um, the article titled A Brain That Went to Warren and Back, and uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you through, you know, all of these events that we're doing together. So it's such an honor to have you here today to share your story with our listeners, and I, I guess maybe let's just start with... Um, you know, you did several tours, and I, I think the thing that struck, struck me the most when you shared your story with me was all the explosions and the use of explosives and even just firing your guns constantly, um, how that left you with a TBI, and, you know, it's, it's not even really thought about, right? Like, you don't don't you, you didn't sure. go into the military thinking I'm going to get a TBI from my gun. Um, so why don't we start there?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, just like you came right out and said there, you know, going back to what is a, you know, a concussion or what is a head injury, it's, as I understand it, any alteration in the functioning of the brain. So that does not have to be this big, um, you know, major traumatic event that leaves somebody, you know, knocked unconscious and in a coma for hours, days, weeks, months. Um, So when we go back to those, what we'll call uh, like micro um, sub-concussive hits, you know, over time, well, that's where we see that like with the NFL guys and finding out that uh, looking at their Mm -hmm. brain, you know, post-mortem after they had died, that, you know, oh my gosh, this individual was 45 years old and he had Alzheimer's and the brain of a 90-year-old uh, individual. And it mm-hmm. was those, you know, not necessarily the concussive, but those sub-concussive hits repetitive over time take a cumulative effect on the brain that causes it to lose its resiliency, right? So then you can transfer that over into the, you know, the military domain And same thing applies there, but it's kind of magnified or amplified in the fact that, you know, in special forces, um, part of the daily, you know, requirements of that job is, you know, shooting a a number of different uh, weapon systems, jumping out of airplanes, um, hand-to-hand combat, uh, uh, mixed martial arts type of things. And then, uh, like you said, to, to do that job, you know, I had to be proficient in using explosives. Um, you know, placing a surgical charge, you know, one that's made precisely to the minimum amount of force to blow up a blow up a door. Um, the reason for that so we can be the minimum distance behind it. So as soon as it blows, we can be right in and and to do our job. So to become proficient at those types of things, you just like shooting a free throw, you have to do it over and over and over mm-hmm. again until it becomes second nature. And the only way to do that is to do it um, in in real speed, so to speak. Um, so you're prepared when you have to do it in a life or death situation. So that um, that affords a unique opportunity to these individuals because you know that puts us literally a, around uh, hundreds and for many of us thousands of low level blasts. And just like you said, over, like, like I was talking about over time, that cumulative effect will cause the brain to become less resilient, and that can manifest in a, in a bunch of different ways. And it's difficult to detect because the individual is not showing any outward signs or symptoms of there being any change or alteration to who they are. They're not, you know, for me, in my case, I wasn't missing a limb. I wasn't missing an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked like the epitome of a healthy individual. So, you know, that's kind of the, the sports comparison branching over in the military uh, domain, which affected me specifically, but, you know, maybe will resonate with a lot of people is like, Hey, it's these number of different, uh, micro occurrences that could potentially add up over time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, and I, I think too, that's what you just talked about, how, you know, you didn't have a scratch on you. Um, but yet you were struggling and I think that's, a common, I was just listening to um, a podcast the other day with a military member, and he was talking about the same thing. He didn't have a scratch on him. Like, there's guys worse than me. Like, who am I to complain about what's going on with me? And, you know, I, I think that's such a common reaction amongst military members. And even for me, I kind of felt some of that when I was speaking and and doing all my advocacy work. I'm like, well, who am I to be doing this? You know, people are so much worse than me. They should be the ones sharing their story. But the fact is that I'm able to do this. So, therefore, Mm -hmm. I should do this. Um, And, you know, going back to military, like, it doesn't matter how how injured you look you know your brain is invisible and I think that's the complex nature of brain injury right like we could look Mm -hmm. totally fine and still have all this going on inside our head Um, totally
1: totally. it it is so complex and that that was what was difficult to me and maybe this will uh, resonate with some of the audience and it was the fact that I the fact that What I was dealing with as far as the the symptoms could have been or correlated to, you know, a head injury, it didn't even enter into my awareness or my consciousness. It wasn't like, Mm -hmm. you know, as counterintuitive as that that sounded, you know, I was like, well, you know, I I mean, I've never had any problems there. So what it was a mystery, right? It's like, well, just out of the blue, all of a sudden. I start having all kinds of new issues that have never been in my chronological timeline. Have never been a problem for me, you know. And, and I'm sure that I mean that's like number one thing with with head injuries for people, you know, is figuring out like, man, I have uh, overwhelming fatigue all of a sudden, and uh, I can't really put a finger on it. But I'm, and I can't sleep well, and then you start to have. Uh, problems with anxiety and depression and panic attacks. And before you know it, things can spiral, you know, very much out of control um, as they did for me. And it had us only looking at, at as far as, you know, with the, uh, the medical profession was only looking at this from a psychological, psychological perspective. And they were only thinking, okay, well, you know, obviously this individual is just suffering from psychological duress and we're going to treat it according to that psychological uh, duress. It never was even brought in there like, okay, there could be a physiological reason that's causing all these things to manifest. And, and uh, so that was the most difficult part, you know, in my journey, I think, is trying to figure out, you know, and, and get access to information where I understood that, okay, man, there, there's most likely a, a physiological, you know, reason that this happened. So what is that? And how do we identify that? And if we can identify it, can we, can we treat it or can we support it? Can we improve upon that? You know, those are types of questions that were never brought to me as someone who is mm-hmm. looking for help. And I think it's so powerful to know if you can just broaden your perspective and think how I can I ask some better questions to get at root causes, it will most likely be able to drive us to, to some uh, better outcomes. And that's what we wish for everybody.
0: yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, You know, you came back home from your tour and um, you were struggling and you were suicidal and like you just you didn't really understand what was going on. So you turned to the VA, which, I mean, Mm -hmm. makes total sense. You're a military member. Um, So what did that part of the journey look like for you?
1: Well, I got back from my last, you know, combat deployment and like I said earlier, not you know, I wasn't missing a limb or an eye and not a scratch on me and um was, you know, very very much happy to be home. And I have to say like living the life that I was living as a special forces operator doing that job, you know, I'm doing what I want to do with my life. I'm married to the woman of my dreams, we have the family that we had always, you know, hoped for. Uh our life was the like uh, just a, it was a postcard, you know what I mean? Because w- we were living what we wanted to live. So the point I'm making is I didn't have any reason to, to be, you know, upset or to be t- bre- depressed, to, you know, all of a sudden be um, provoked into anxiety uh, and, and panic attacks and almost, you know, any situation, um, however it could come. And so that, that's what struck me as, as really odd. And, you know, it was about six months, I think, after my deployment before these new symptoms started to manifest. And I it just, I was like, my gosh, this is the, the most bizarre thing because um, all I want to do is continue doing my job. And I'm not, I, I'm not hung up on, on anything I had to do operationally, you know. I wasn't, you know, uh, suffering from, from things of that nature. And, you know, I wasn't under psychological duress. I, matter of fact, I wanted to go back to doing it. So that was why all of a sudden how do I and that's the question I had how do I go from this high performing individual um, able to perform in situations of life and death to now having all these uh, psychological and emotional problems that I don't seem to have any control over so it's it seemed like to me that I was just going crazy um, and and the things just continued to get worse from there and what really started the whole um, Episode for me was a complete loss of libido, and I'm like 32 at the time, so, you know, uh, a young man, and uh, a complete loss of energy, and and that started to, to, you know, to make things difficult at at my home. Then throwing the new emotional problems, I started to have these panic attacks. I would have them, uh, you know, in front of, uh, at work, in the weight room, uh, in front of my children at home. I had no control over it. And worse than that, once they started, um, I would just start kind of crying uncontrollably. And I I didn't know why it came on. I didn't know why it would happen. And it just kind of had to run its course. And I really started to think, like, uh, I'm just going insane. And the only thing that I could think of to do at that time was to start drinking to kind of quell that, uh, you know, anxiety that that was coming pretty much a 24-7 lived experience for me. So then I started drinking heavily, and that continued to... (laughs) Uh, only you know make situations worse and then finally when I got to a point uh, and and so in addition to that you know all the kind of cognitive issues I was having my executive functioning seemed to be going away my working memory um, was being depleted my uh, ability to do uh, use common speech going to look for words and they just they just weren't there and never been an issue for me focus I couldn't sit down and I couldn't read Uh, I couldn't comprehend what I was reading I couldn't keep my focus more than five or ten minutes at a time. Just having uh, headaches that would um, and would produce blurry vision, and that blurry vision would go into double vision, and I would, um, you know, have daily migraines and, and issues with balance and vertigo and things like that. And much, if anybody else out there has, has had head injuries, I know you're you're um, have similar experiences. So, you know, it was all this was in a very short amount of time, and you know, I raised my hand to try to get help through the medical system. and you know the the status quo level of care is two things um, in the domain that I was in, and it was um, psychotropic medications, and it was psychotherapy. And I was worse for all the medications that I was put on. And so then I was essentially, um, forced to be medically retired from the military, I was given a number of disabilities and rated as one hundred percent disabled and told I was going to have to be on thirteen medications for the rest of my life and to carry a pen and pad wherever I went and to keep my you know my wife had to be my caregiver because I was no longer going to be able to, to care for myself anymore and you know that was kind of the situation within 18 months I went from this very high performing individual the top one of, percent uh, of a, a very uh, demanding occupation to the absolute diametrically opposed uh, position to that on the street with my head spinning wondering like well what am I supposed to do now and how am I supposed to provide my for my family in a condition like this so You know, that was from uh, just a very quick turnaround for us, finding ourselves in the street wondering how on earth are we going to get a handle on what's going on here and try to get gain some quality back to our life, to have a quality of
0: life. Yeah. And so at what point did you and your brother um, decide to write your book, Tales from the Blast Factory? How did that come about?
1: Well, uh, I to give some context uh, to that, you know, I think we all have to in our in our healing journeys and our in our own hero's journey, we all come to different crossroads where, you know, we're presented with, uh, you know, we're facing chaos and we got to figure out how to make some order out of that chaos. So, it was uh, at a time. When I was on my way out of the military and I was feeling you know very sorry for myself, I'm no longer going to be allowed to do the, the one thing I felt I was put on here on earth to do. I can't you know um, people are treating me unfairly and I'm not who I used to be and, and just in a very negative feedback loop, um, really in a victim mentality for a, a brief period of time. And uh, my oldest boy, who was 13 months at the time, had this uh, life-threatening illness, and he had to have uh, a number of operations, but he had this massive growth uh, in his neck that we had to remove. And I remember being with him after he was recovering from his surgery, and he's in the ICU, and he's just 13 months old. And And I just – I had this moment of clarity as I was j- just watching my boy suffer and just the worst feeling on earth to to watch uh, a child suffer, and they, they, they can't comprehend why they're suffering. And I realized, though, at that point in time that I was of no value to my boy or to my family in the condition that I was in. You know, I was a drunk mess. I was on a number of medications. I couldn't, you know, I, I just I wasn't responsible. I couldn't do the things I needed to do. And I made a a promise to my boy right then and there at his hospital bedside, both to myself and to him, uh, three things. One, that I would return to the man of my pre-injury status. The second one, Amy, was that I was going to find a way to come off all the medication that I was told I was going to have to be on for the rest of my life. And I didn't care what mountain I had to scale, you know, what door we had to kick open or wall we had to bust through. It just It was irrelevant. How much money it cost, just what the, you know, conventional science had to say about it, it meant nothing to me because those two things in my mind at that point became non-negotiable. And after they were accomplished, then the third thing was, is I was going to turn around and I was going to spend the rest of my days helping someone else, uh, whether it's an individual or families who found themselves in the same position that my, you know, I did and, and my family did. And that was the catalyst to kind of pull me out of that timeline and insert me into a, to, a new timeline where I started to ask myself better questions. I started to say, well, what would it look like if I got better? What would that person be like that I want to be like um, if, if I was the role model that I wanted to be to my children? Well, how would I start acting? And if I was going to find a way to improve my brain, uh, where should I start looking? Because the places I have been looking – haven't been producing the outcomes that I want. So that, that put me on, on a new track. And I went through a number of different, you know, modalities that we had to pay for out of pocket because the, uh, our insurance system didn't um, cover it. Well, no problem. We just continued to take out credit cards and I went wherever I thought we could find some good results. And that ended up leading us to a a world renowned neuroendocrinologist out in um, LA and, um, we experienced just a significant um, turnaround in, in my symptoms and my ability to go back and, and to do life on my terms. So it was prior to that that my brother and I, my brother was a uh, Army aviation commander. He flew the um, Apache helicopter and a number of others um, in his time in there. And we had talked about starting up a nonprofit foundation to, um, you know, provide – healing, hope, answers to other individuals that were suffering from from head injuries. Because even in 2014, 2015, this wasn't a well-talked-about topic, not nearly to the point of it is today, like with um, forums like like the one that you created here. And so that was kind of the catalyst. It was like, okay, we're going to start a nonprofit foundation, and we're going to be in the the space of, of brain injury, you know, health and support. Then I was able to just have dramatic improvements, and it became real clear what type of modality we were going to support with our efforts, and um, we were able to start a nonprofit up and and start helping other individuals that we knew in the special operations community. And by this time, I'm symptom-free, I'm medication-free, I'm performing better than my pre-injury status, which we were told would be absolutely impossible. But yet now we're able to replicate same results that I experienced, Well, we've done that hundreds of times now through our, our uh, foundation. So I think it was about 2016, just at the early start of our foundation, we started in January of 2015, maybe we've been been in full operation for about a year, but my brother Adam really just said, hey, this is what we're going to do, we're going to write a book, man, your story needs to be told, um, we're going to tell it from who you were before and then talk about what what it was like when you experienced all these things and what it was like trying to figure out what was going on and what was it like navigating through the current medical system and what did you have to do to actually put your brain and a body in an environment where it could heal and then what was it like on the other side of that. So it was really my brother was a driving force for that And that became Tales from the Blast Factory, which has been a a bestseller on Amazon in a number of different categories. And it just kind of encapsulated all the things that I just talked about there. But we wanted to write it in a way it's geared towards, you know, um, there's, there's no degree of specialization you need to read that book. You can sit down and um if you can read for 90 minutes two hours straight you can get through it in that amount of time and that was very deliberate we wanted it to just be very easy to read by people who potentially um had a head injury and and that was a catalyst for the book and then you know like just these things you can never plan for them but then uh, you know uh, that got its way to hollywood and um then we uh turned that into a movie and, and that's quiet explosions and you know that's how one small little thing, all the way back, one small little promise at that crossroads could be like, you know what? I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of what current is happening, and I'm not going to accept it anymore. And I don't know how I'm going to do it, but we're going to do it. Something as tiny as uh, a promise like that to yourself and to someone else, and then acting on that can just ripple and manifest across the sands of time to create something that you can never even comprehend or fathom or come up with on your own. It just has to emanate by, you know, I think answering a higher calling. And, and that's how these things have been lining up for me, Amy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and, you know, the the movie is just so well done. And I had um, director, producer Jerry Schur on the podcast a couple of days ago, um, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that episode. Um, and, you know, the thing I enjoyed was that it wasn't just military. It was military. It was athletes. And it was just, you know, civilians, just regular people. And uh, she captured the emotionality so well of what everyone had gone through and the frustration of, you know, traditional medicine, just not understanding. And, um, you know, the tenacity of everyone in there to get through it to the other side by, you know, finally finding the right resources. And I think that's the most frustrating part of the entire journey for everyone is the resources are there, but they're just like, buried like it it was it was dumb luck that i found you know functional neurology um we need to get the help the resources at the forefront and we need traditional the traditional system to see these resources and get them to us sooner um you know that that's the only way we're going to get people the help they need sooner than later um so I'm just, I'm so grateful for the movie and everything all of you guys are doing and, um, you know, the warrior fun, um, warrior angels. Yeah. Correct? That's it. Warrior angels. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you guys are really trying to help, um, service members after they've served because the statistic is like 20 military members a day commit suicide and that just shouldn't even be happening. So um, I'm so glad to see you guys, you know, putting an effort out there to help military people find those resources. Um, So, Andrew, we're just about out of time, and I would love to just ask you what your final parting thoughts of wisdom are for our listeners, what you would like to leave them with today.
1: Well, I just I want to go back, and I, one, I want to honor you, Amy, for, for just having the courage to do everything that you're doing and to reach out and support and help and elevate this community. Um, it just is uh, means the world to me, and I know uh, mm-hmm. the same to so many others. Uh, secondly, it would be that um, – we talked a little bit about Quiet Explosion. You guys have been getting a really behind-the-scenes uh, look uh, with talking with uh, Jerry. She's just an amazing, amazing individual, and, and some of the cast um, uh, before me and both after me. The the movie is something I think that I really w- needs to be seen, and that's really what I want to uh, have taken away here. and we wanted to come across that, hey, this is not just a military issue. It's not just an athletic issue. Mm-hmm. This is, mm-hmm. it, it affects a Super Bowl MVP the same way it affects an accountant, the same way it affects a, gymna- a gymnast. And, and here's how. And here's what the bottom looks like. And it's not just over here for these um, Super Bowl athletes, special Forces operators. This is what it's like. And this is also what it's like when you can be put in touch with the right resources and this can be the other side of it. And there's 10 different beautiful stories told and all these advanced neurological concepts that are, that are weaved in in a way, Jerry just did such a beautiful job that it's so entertaining, it's so easy to watch, but you'll come away with an understanding of not only a problem, more importantly, some viable Evidence-based and scientifically backed solutions that have shown by the people in this movie to be real, and that is uplifting. That is inspiring. That is hope, and that's we want. It would not false hope. We're talking real hope. Mm -mm. And Mm -hmm. before this film, not that that I'm aware of, was there anything else out there like that that has been able to accomplish what this film does? Not only identifying the problem, but showing these solutions through these ver- various groups of individuals showing this is the human experience, this is, the hu- this is a human problem, and there are solutions out there for those who are willing to go out there and get it. So that, that's my uh, long-winded, you know, lasting part uh, for the audience, but I think it is worth seeing, especially for this community. You're not going to want to miss it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, just another uh, reminder to everyone that you will be a part of our live Q&A on March 16th during my Awareness Day event. Anyone listening can register for free at facesoftdi.com slash event and you can rent the movie on amazon i believe it's 3.99 last time i checked you can also buy the dvd um but i do have that link in the show notes for anyone who would like to um, rent the movie and check it out it's definitely worth your time Um, so andrew thank you so much for being here today this has been a great conversation
1: absolutely amy Uh, great as always thank you so much
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And just another shout out to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. You can find them online at Integrated Brain Centers. And a reminder that you can find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes or directly at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer and also join us in Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.